Hello, my name is Maurice Harker. What you're about to listen to is a clip from a live training session with either an individual or a group who are anxiously engaged in recovering their marriages. Please listen to several of the recordings in this podcast, and then, when you are ready, seriously consider attending the live weekly trainings from your home via webinar. My ability to provide enough individual and marriage therapy sessions has become very limited, so I created the marriage repair workshops so I could serve more people at a lower cost for you. So please, when you're ready, investigate your options at www.lazaruslectures.com. That's L-A-Z-A-R-U-S-L-E-C-T-U-R-E-S.com. I look forward to meeting you and to serving you well. I would love to play a part in decreasing your pain and increasing your happiness. See you soon. Next question. Would it be wise to give the other person more time to recover or solidify some of the things they need to work on, especially when observing how your weaknesses and pain points line up with their needs for development? If a bridge does not have strong compensators or reinforces in place for weaknesses, the whole bridge is going to fall into the river again. So one of my personal weaknesses that is also one of my strengths is I like to begin journeys before we're ready. I'm willing to go camping without making sure we have everything in the camper. I'm willing to just go and see what happens. And if we don't have enough food, we kill grizzly bears and we eat them, something like that. This skill or pattern of mine has achieved a lot of success. I initiate a a program, I initiate a class, I get something rolling and we improve it and build it and finish it along the way. But it's also been a major source of my drastic failures. When things don't work out, it's easy to figure out that we should have been more prepared. So do you leave early or do you wait? I don't know. In your case, The vital thing is while you're in Denver and you see the next phase of things, we're going to be going through psychological intimacy, we're going to be going through spiritual intimacy, and we're going to be going through physical intimacy, not doing someone a favor in the bedroom and not waiting for someone to be finished and not tolerating another person. We are preparing to go through some very complex human interactions. And you've got to allow for the possibility that that other person is still messed up and underdeveloped in more than one way. They still have these immaturities. They still have these tendencies. Uh, One of these questions is going to ask if you base, if you, if the next three years are going to be like the last three months, do you have the durability for that? Do you have the fortitude for that? Can you survive and function well enough for the next three years if the other person actually engages in a 1% growth speed? If they're going to follow the gospel and only improve 1% on a regular basis, can you engage them and be interconnected with them if they're going to grow that slow according to a schedule that only he and God have control of and you don't get to pick what he works on? You don't get to pick what he's going to be working on. You don't get to be his primary source of feedback. You don't get to be the one who points stuff out to him. If he does not have a system of personal development in place where he can identify the next wisest thing to work on, 
and he's shown evidence that he is going to work on it, it is unwise for you to go into the next level. Because if you're hoping to influence his development from this point on, we are not going to achieve a celestial relationship pattern. Hallie, if you're okay doing so, would you comment on what that is like for a woman to have just enough trust in his growth pattern without trusting it completely? Yeah, I think that stems in trusting ourselves enough to know that we can protect ourselves if he's unable to do so. So I think that this is the part of this intimacy triangle that I really love that it it points out the courage that it takes. So it takes a lot of um, our own work to trust ourselves, but then to reach in and have that courage, even if it feels a little bit scary and to look at situations more like not jumping in with both feet going, okay, he's ready. I can jump into this, but going in going, okay, I'm gathering information here. I'm just testing the waters here. I'm going to check and see if this is safe. If it is, I'm going to allow myself to lean in a little bit. And if it isn't, then I know how to retreat. I know how to protect myself. And so I guess from my experience, that's kind of what it's like is trusting myself enough to know that, all right, I'm going to test the waters here, kind of do a weather check, see where it's at. If it feels like it's safe, I'm going to have the courage and lean in a little bit. And if at any time I need to pull the ripcord and get out, I know how to do that. Thank you. I want to elaborate on a phrase that you use there that's very common in our conversations these days, especially with betrayal trauma. This phrase that says feeling safe. This phrase is a two-edged sword because it's vital to seek your safety and to be conscientious about your safety. But your sensory system is really delicate and precise. And so if you follow your sensory system and you're checking, do I feel safe? We have to clarify. Do you feel sufficiently safe or do you feel 100% safe? I am sad to report to you that your understanding and awareness of safety is accurate, but unlikely to experience as long as you're in a relationship with mortals. So when Hallie's talking about courage, this is not close your eyes, dive in head first into a wood chipper. This is using all of your intellect and your sensitivity to observe and weather check and gather information and ask the question, is it sufficiently safe for me to experiment upon the next level with my ripcord and my safety lines all ready to go? I love the rock climbing analogy because by definition, hanging off the side of a cliff is risky. But if you have a very strong rope to the rock at the top of the cliff, not to amateur rock climbers, a man who is living this phase of his life for the first time ever, you do realize this is the first time this man has ever been on the face of this rock. So it's extremely logical to not trust him. That's not offensive. He's never done this before. He's never gone through this phase of life before. He's never had a wife like you before. He's never had children like this before. He's never been in this economic slash business situation ever before. There's a lot on his mind. It is not safe to trust him 100%. But so when you analyze, do you feel safe? 
please put a qualifier in there based on significant wisdom. Do you feel adequately safe to be on the face of the rock near him, not relying on him? Hallie, am I being clear enough for that? Is there anything that is a translation barrier that we need to, I could use milk with? Well, I don't know if, if I have the language for it either, but let me let me try to say what's coming to my mind is that Thank you. we're talking about it. It feels um, like I can remember from this perspective of feeling like everything I'm I'm living scared, like I'm living in a, from a place of fear all the time. And that is not a fun place to be. That is not a fun place to be. But that is part of the trauma that we experience until we've gotten a level of work. Like we walk around with this lens of the world of am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? from a, almost like a fear-based place and it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel good to our nervous system and to our body. And so as you do some more work to learn to regulate your own self and trust yourself to create safety, you can kind of take that fear piece out of it. And it's like, you, you can step into it and go, okay, I'm having hope that maybe he's going to be able to show up in this moment in a safe way, in a way that's going to be comfortable. And if he doesn't, that's going to be really sad and disappointing. And I'll go back over here where I need to be and keep myself safe. But it's if we put our dependency on our safety on him, then we're constantly going to be living in that place of fear, I believe, because we're, we're reliant on him to show up in a certain way in order for us to be okay. And when you can take that power back into your own lap and take the reins of that yourself and go, I hope he's going to show up and create safety. But if he doesn't, then I'll be okay. It takes that fear piece out of it. You don't have to walk around in that. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? It'll be, let me see if I'm safe. And if he isn't, okay, dang it. We're not there yet. Let me retreat again. But it's not that so intense feeling of emotion. So I just, I don't know if that makes any sense. Wonderful. It gave me some space to start reviewing my own personal life and and some phrases. So my wife um, does tons and tons of work to successfully stay married to me. And one of those things, and every once in a while, her self-talk comes out loud and she kind of goes, oh, I said that, I said that out loud. One of the recent ones, I was worried about my own emotional fluctuations with the demands on my shoulders and I'm trying to be stable. I'm trying to be smooth. And she says, um, you don't have to worry about me. I don't trust that you'll stay psychologically stable. And I'm all, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? And she goes, oh, oh, um, if I trusted you or relied on you to be predictably stable all the time, then I would be messed up. And so I keep my own rope to God and stay emotionally stable while you wobble a little bit so that it doesn't scare both of us. I'm like, well, why didn't you say it that way? <laughs> She's all, because that's not how I hold it in my head. I said, I don't need you to be emotionally stable. I don't trust you to be emotionally stable because you're a human guy. You're like a guy. How am I supposed to trust you? You're a boy. Okay, I'm all, wait. She goes, oh, dang it, I did it again. <laughs> so I'm over here going, okay, Maurice, just let her talk, self-talk to herself so that she's okay and stop trying to make it make sense to you as a boy. Just let her do her self-talk because the final product is I got a woman who smiles when she shouldn't be smiling because she feels secure even when I don't? Is that a bad thing? It's quite handy or vice versa. 
I might be feeling stable and secure while she's wobbling. See what that looks like on the face of a rock wall that only one person's panicking at a time and the other person's demonstrating security. That's a nice experience. Another way I like to look at it too is like I'm I'm whole and complete in and of myself. And if he can show up and add something to that, that's a bonus. I love it when he shows up and adds things to my already whole and complete self. And if he doesn't, that's really sad and disappointing, but I'm still whole and complete whether or not he shows up and adds anything to it or not. Absolutely. Thank you. You have just finished listening to another principle that is one of many that you will find in a special class that I've put together called the Marriage Repair Workshops and the Lazarus Lectures. This is a compilation of principles that I have pulled from my years of training, study, and therapeutic experience designed to give you the tools, the vision, the ideas, everything that is necessary to take a relationship that has experienced catastrophic levels of unpleasantness and falling apart and rebuild it almost as if raising it from the dead. Please follow the links and attend at least one of our marriage repair workshops so that you can get a feel for what you will learn and get your attachment to the multimedia classroom that holds videos, audios, articles from me and several other specialists that we call the Lazarus Lectures, a 40 lesson series building from one principle to another so that you can discover what is necessary to pull off a miracle in your relationship. I hope you'll find great value in this. I hope those of you who find yourselves unable to afford the thousands of dollars necessary to attend a marriage therapist, especially one that's really good and is not as available as we would like therapists to be, please, please study this material in the Lazarus Lectures and attend the Marriage Repair Workshops so that we can help you get things back to the way you want them. We'll see you then.